here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. Well, Dan, we probably shouldn't be too surprised, right? The Giants play the Browns without Daniel Jones, without their Pro Bowl corner, James Bradbury, without their offensive coordinator, Jason Garrett. And I kind of felt like Joe Judge coached like it. He coached like he was undermanned. He coached so aggressively. It was almost to a fault, I think. And I think the fans feel a certain kind of way about it. I don't hate the mindset. I hate some of the decision-making and the execution behind that mindset, if you know what I mean. And we can kind of parse this out as we go, but... What do you think about it? 20-6 to six loss for the Giants that puts them in a tough spot now to make the playoffs. There's no doubt about that. they gotta, they got to start winning ball games and they need some help uh, to get in. So what do you think about this one? Anybody who listened to the podcast last week knows, you know, we didn't expect the Giants to win this game. And we kind of laughed at the line. And again, I, I feel like after this year, maybe I should start betting. You, you should. I've been money on it. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's one takeaway. I think the other takeaway is, is listen, the Giants are – they are an undermanned team. That's just the reality of it. They're an undermanned team when everybody's on the field. And uh, that's just the nature of the lack of depth that they have right now, thanks to the purge after Jerry Reese's departure. And, you know, for being quite honest, injuries and some misses by Dave Gettleman. Uh, that's just the nature of the game. I don't fault Judge for being as aggressive as he was down his starting quarterback, two corner, his two starting cornerbacks, his offensive coordinator. The Giants obviously had some other issues throughout the week with a staff member testing positive and being isolated. They had to not, you know, practice. Uh, they went virtual for a couple days there. Uh, their outside linebackers coach just split on them like nobody's business was just like, see you going to Illinois. Yeah. And, uh, it, is, you know, it has been a strange season. A lot of stuff it, has happened for the Giants right. on and off so the field. They were up against it and, and Judge rolled the dice. He, he gambled and he lost. But I don't take issue really with the gamble. So I, do, I take issue maybe with the fake field goal uh, a little <laughs> Thank bit. Thank you, Dan. I but, hope you do. We'll but I, I do, I, well, the fake field goal in particular because you've got your punter thrown to the center. and uh, <laughs> It's so funny, yeah. It right. Is, it's and, unbelievable. Uh, maybe the execution on that one was uh, you know, not wonderful. And, and listen, I'm going to tip a cap to, to a former giant, B.J. Goodson. He made that play uh, on that fake field goal. He was not faked out at all. He dropped back, rolled with, rolled with, with, with the players were flowing. And uh, you know he got in the way, so kudos to him. It was a good play by him. Still don't love the don't love the call if you're going to go for it on fourth down in that situation. Put your damn offense on the field and let them make the play. I certainly don't take an issue with uh, the second one where they ran Gallman on an and one situation. And quite honestly, uh, watching the replay, I thought he fell at the line, and I'm surprised it wasn't challenged. But um, I think if we're going to rip Judge for anything that he did the other night, was that his first challenge of the entire season. Uh, was on that onside kick where it was very clear that no matter who had the ball under there, there was no way they were going to overturn that call. And I, I get it. You know, maybe it was, a, you know, a desperation uh, kind of attempt, sure. or whatever the case may be. But there was no chance they were going to win that. So I guess if we're going to criticize any of judges' calls, it'd probably be that one. No, I agree 100. percent I think he, I think he dropped the. I don't know why he didn't challenge the Gallman. Yeah, I agree. That was a first down. That was a first. I, I thought so. I really did think so. I, I watched that from a couple different angles. You couldn't see, you know, where his knee went down. You could only see where the ball went down, which is what the referees would have had to have judged on. And uh, 
to my eye, that, that was the first down. The referee judging on judge. I like that. That's a good. Right, that was right. good, Dan. Good job. So, uh, no, look. So looking at this game, I mean, again, the Giants get a nice little kick return. Colt McCoy and the offense moves the football right down the field. That's the the old adage, right, in sports. You, you feel good about yourself if you get some points on the board early. And I just didn't love the fake field goal thing they did because, as Judge says after the game, he says the Browns were situational. There was a little confusion at they first, were. but they settled on down. We thought we had a chance at it. It was worth rolling the dice right there. But for me, it's like, was it worth rolling the dice if the Browns, you know, reacted well to it? It's not like this was a fake field goal that surprised everyone. You got the formation shows that they're faking it, right? It's not like a surprise. So the Browns had a chance to adjust, and they were not fooled by Nick Gates leaking out over the middle of the field. <laughs> they just weren't fooled. And you got your punter kind of throwing this, like, awkward throw, and it's just you bury your head in your hands and, like, what was that? And Twitter, I know, had some fun on that. Everyone's oh, yeah. having fun on social media. I agree oh, with yeah. you 100%, Dan. If you're going to go for it, I'm fine. I actually have been ripping John Gruden all year with Marcus Mosier on our Raiders Wire podcast about him kicking 23-yard field goals. And he did it again this past week against the Chargers when they lost in overtime. He kicks a field goal from the five-yard line. He keeps doing that. For me, a general rule of thumb is if the field goal has a two in front of it, if it's a 20-something yarder, just go for it. What do you yeah. like, This is the NFL, and you got to score points, and especially the well, Giants. they got to score right, points. Right. But, they, listen, the Giants haven't scored points all year, and they're going against a team that they assumed. We all, I think we all assumed we're going to score more than 20 points. So Judge said after the game, you know, he said field goals weren't going to win it. And he's right. The field, the field goals weren't going to win this game. But man, man, you gotta come up with something. You gotta come up with something a little better. I just, and granted, they they've run that, they practiced that exact play to perfection. But it's it's a whole different animal when you have a, a professional team on the field and you're you're playing in a meaningful game. You know, it's a different kind of scenario. And and like I said, kudos kudos to Cleveland. They, they played it well. Again, I don't I don't love the call, but Cleveland did play it well. What what Dixon should have done. Because he should have hit the wide-open Graham Gano in the end zone is what he should have done. <laughs> oh, I think it's easier to execute in practice yeah, when Freddie right. Kitchens is uh, running around. Hey, and defense, you know what you else, know? though? Let me tell you this. I know the Giants only scored six points, but hats off to Freddie Kitchens because that aggressive play call, and particularly in the first half, especially taking those shots deep, which the Giants haven't done all year, that changed the whole the whole complexion of that offense. For just, for just a split second, we saw what it could be. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself, boy, that sort of play calling with Daniel Jones, a quarterback, mm, that's, that has something to it, I think. There's no doubt about it. There was a rhythm to the offense. There's something about the offense that I liked. you know. And it's like, wow, there's no Daniel Jones and there's, and there's no Jason Garrett. So it was surprising to see the offense kind of humming a little bit. But – they were humming between the 20s, right? Not inside right. the 20. When they got to the right. 20, they stalled. But for me, it's just like every time the Giants seem to try to pull some trickery, Dan, this year, it backfires. Like the flea flickers we've talked about all year. Oh, uh, you know, just oh. some, some of this stuff. Like so we've seen some bad reverses. You know, they're always trying to do these right. things with Evan Ingram, kind of getting them around the edge, edge and stuff. And sometimes Pro that works. Pro yeah. Bowl Evan Ingram. Oh, the Pro Bowl. Oh, yeah. Did you, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel about that? The Pro Bowler, oh, Evan Ingram. Boy. I'm going to be completely honest. I, and I said this to you a second ago before we came on air that I respect Evan Ingram as a human being. He's a good person. He's a very likable guy. I thought it was a joke. I thought it was tweeted sarcastically that Evan Ingram made the Pro Bowl. I genuinely did. I genuinely read it, and I laughed, and I thought, that's a good one. That's a good one. It's funny. It's funny. It's a little cruel, but it's funny. And then I realized it wasn't a joke, and that was honestly the bigger joke, really, because let's not kid ourselves. Evan Ingram 
has all the talent in the world, but I wrote this yesterday before he was named to the Pro Bowl. To the Pro Bowl, that he is now third, I believe it is, in the league in drop passes. Yeah, he's got eight on the oh, season. Right, and then somebody clipped together uh, Talking Giants. Uh, my buddies over at Talking Giants clipped together. And you've heard me mention this multiple times about how uh, the vast majority of the Giants' offensive turnovers this season somehow involved Evan Ingram. Yes. It was like a seven-minute clip of that. Yeah, it's, it's painful. And, you know, the, the you know Zach Cruz over at the uh, Packers Wire uh, tweeted a little side-by-side thing of the Packers, right. Robert Tunyon, and Ingram. And the, the stats are glaring when you look at the yeah. touchdowns. Uh, Big Bob tongue in over there for the Packers has 10 touchdowns this year. 10 touchdowns. Engram has one. Engram has been targeted 95 times, 54 catches. Tongue in 55 times for 49 catches. So the, just the catch rate for Robert tongue in mm-hmm. has been unbelievable. The Packers are probably going to be the number one seed in the NFC. Right. And he's been you know a force for them at tight end, both in the run game and the pass game. I thought he got absolutely snubbed but i think just the the name recognition for evan ingram helped him in that case but it's you're right crazy. It, it, he it's probably crazy didn't des- he probably didn't deserve it he's not having a great no, year he's not he's not and listen again it's not a knock on the guy as a person he's a good person but did you see his reaction his own reaction i have not seen this tell me what was his reaction oh my good he thought he was getting pumped he thought he was getting pumped <laughs> that's terrible he should just give it to uh, tongue in and, you know that's actually i saw damon harrison actually tweet out a pretty interesting idea that I have not considered since this game is not being played. Uh, it doesn't hurt anybody to technically drop out of the pro Bowl like they would do in previous years, which would usher in the ability for other deserving players to also get the pro Bowl nod without anybody actually having to leave and miss the game. So they can all still be involved and they can kind of pass the buck, so to speak, uh, or maybe pay it forward. If you prefer that term instead and kind yeah. of give somebody else an opportunity to get that, you know, that pro bowl mark next to them on their resume. And I thought that was a pretty interesting concept and pretty interesting idea. And I'm actually curious to see if people like Ingram, uh, who, you know, like I said, he, he knew that he wasn't necessarily deserving of it might, you know, say, all right, I've got my pro bowl, but I'm going to, step aside and let somebody else, you know, take part in this whole Madden thing and get their name, you know, in the Pro Bowl. And and quite frankly, I think there are some players who made the Pro Bowl who really should consider doing that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting take. And that would be that would be quite the gesture if Ingram were to do that. I don't know. That, yeah. That's that would be pretty cool. But well, he's a big time Madden player and he's pretty excited about that. So I, I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen. Yeah, but, pro- probably not. Probably right. not. So but it, it would be interesting to see if anybody does actually do that, because there are players out there who have Pro Bowl incentives who are missing, you know, half a million dollars. The incentive by, piece is huge. Yeah, yes. right. By just missing out on that. So these are your brothers out there. If you've got someone on your team and you're like, hey, I could take a step back and this dude gets a half a million dollars, you know, I, personally, I'd be inclined to do that for them. That's an interesting topic. That is an interesting topic. But back on the Giants-Browns, some things to feel okay about, some things to not feel so great about. Dan and I will get into all that coming up next. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends in a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from thehuddle.com. 
Welcome to week 16 of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays in the championship round for most leagues. Derek Carr left last week with a groin injury that was deemed a one-to-two-week situation, but he's been splitting first-team reps with Marcus Mariota. For all of the on-paper upgrades Miami made in the offseason, it has struggled to contain competent quarterbacks, especially dual threats. Cam Newton, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Patrick Mahomes. All of them trounced this group, and even rookie quarterback Justin Herbert found success. Mariota is the better recommendation in the event he starts, just because we don't know what to expect from Carr's injury, but the matchup is right for either player. Sticking with the same matchup, but on the other side of the coin, running back Lynn Bowden of the Miami Dolphins takes on the team that drafted him in the Raiders. Bowden is a running back-receiver combo and can be flexed out into the slot. In fact, he does that more often than not. He's by far the most talented natural receiver out of this backfield, but keep in mind he offers nothing from the running game perspective, with just three carries in the last three games. Injury question marks with Jakeem Grant, Devontae Parker and Mike Kosicki leave this passing game a little thin, so it will be all hands on deck. The Raiders have given up five and a half receptions a game to running backs in 2020, and Bowden is poised to eclipse that mark. Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver Tyron Johnson versus the Denver Broncos. Injuries have slowed receivers Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and it opened the door for the explosive Johnson to see more action. His 12 targets in the last two games after only nine on the year entering week 14. There's a ton of risk here, since he's a low-volume, high-yield type of player, but the Broncos have permitted 21 different efforts of at least 10 PPR points in 2020, and both Allen and Williams scored in the earlier meeting. Johnson is an intriguing flex flyer. Chicago Bears rookie tight end Cole Komet at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Understand by starting him, you're taking a tremendous amount of risk, and this is purely a flyer for a touchdown against a defense that has been atrocious at stopping tight ends in 2020. Only the Jets have allowed more touchdowns on the year to the position, and no team has given up scores at a higher frequency than once every 5.2 catches. But seven times the position has been held to 36 or fewer yards, which makes this the epitome of a gamble for a touchdown. For more fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. I was wondering, what did you think about that uh, early play call when you guys went for it on fourth down with uh, Riley throwing the ball? Obviously, you got taken off the field trip, but what did you kind of think of that? And I'm sure you guys have been practicing that, so like, what was, what was kind of the thought process there from your end? Yeah, I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was coming. Uh, to be honest, you know, I, I take responsibility because we should have punched it in on third down. You know, we we had lots of trips down there in the red zone, and it was frustrating to only come out with three points in the first half. That was that was sort of sort of my frustration. Giants quarterback Colt McCoy, Dan, uh, talk. He, you know, first question of the presser post game, he gets, uh, you know, he's asked about the fake field goal thing. Colt, how'd you feel about being on the sideline while Joe Judge uh, rolled the dice and did this really weird, awful play call with the fake field goal? And, and a little dismissive from Colt McCoy. Didn't seem like he. I mean, he didn't come out and just like condemn his coach or anything, but he didn't see. He kind of dismissed it a little bit. Didn't seem to love that call. No. Uh, so I guess my question is. Do you think Judge is trying a little bit too hard? Is he getting too cute with some of this stuff? Like the fake field goal, instead of just leaving his offense out there if he wants to be aggressive and go for it, like you said earlier, he does this every now and then. It's an old Belichick thing where you got you leave the offense on the on the field on a fourth and short for a little while, and then you rush him off for the punter and try to catch the other team, you know, in this case the Browns, off guard and maybe get a better field position punt out of it or whatever. But the Browns weren't fooled, and the Giants didn't gain anything out of doing it. But we saw them... You know, rush the punt team on at the last second and do that thing. I just feel like sometimes it would just help judge. I think he's a really good coach, and I think the Giants have something here. But for some reason, I just wish he would just chill out and establish himself before he starts getting cute like this. What do you think about that? Well, you know, listen, if they were getting penalized on some of those where they're rushing the punt team out and what have you, rushing some of these substitutions out, 
I would probably be a little bit more critical of it, but they, they haven't, you know, they haven't been penalized on any of those things. There are some weird instances where they'll have like the punt team out or they'll leave the offense out on fourth down. And everybody who's anybody in the entire country knows that they're just trying to draw someone upside. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of just a waste of time, but you know, if you're not in it, you can't win it. And as long as you're not hurting yourself in those situations, why not take the chance? Really? I mean, Listen, we've seen it before in the past. I think teams playing the Giants are aware that this is happening and they're not, you know, they kind of hammer that home to their players. They're going to try and catch you uh, in an undisciplined situation or an unprepared situation. So, you know, you have to be ready for X, Y, and Z. And so far, that's been the case. There haven't been any penalties going either way on that. Uh, There are some other instances, though, like we talked last week about that, um, that third and short where they kind of toss the out to Sterling Shepard. And then they ended up punting instead of going for it on, on fourth down, which was, you know, a sequence that I didn't understand. Uh, you know, we saw it again on Sunday night with the, uh, the fake field goal. So I can see where there are some people, you know, instances where some people are like, you know, that's unnecessarily cute. And I think those two examples are probably the best two that we have all season. And I take, I take issue more with those than I do trying to rush the punt team out and catch the other team. Uh, on their heels uh, because eventually, you know, one of those things, you know, one of those times they are going to catch, the, you know, the, the opponent on the heels. So I don't necessarily have too much of an issue with that. Well, we heard from Colt McCoy there. And speaking of him, he gets his second start in the last three weeks. Plays pretty well, I thought. You got what you wanted out of McCoy, right? I mean, he, he completes 19 balls, 221 yards, made some decent decisions, made some big throws down the field, as you mentioned. No turnovers, only one sack. I think he kind of is proving that if Daniel Jones isn't healthy, the Giants are fine with McCoy at quarterback. Like, they've got a good team. Like, they can hang in these games and not just put a just a completely hamstrung Daniel Jones out there, not to use a horrible pun there, but, <laughs> but not to put Daniel Jones out there at 75 60%. Right. I don't know. I felt watching McCoy play, it just made me kind of frustrated that Jones played against the Cardinals. And it kind of almost proved the point that Judge screwed that up. And I just don't feel like it's been a great eight quarters for Joe Judge. As, as high as we were on him, the last two games, I've been scratching my head a little bit. Yeah, that's another one I should have mentioned before. That decision to play Jones is, is not one that I'm a fan of at all. And I thought it was sort of unrealistic that anybody expected him to play this week. Obviously, ended up not playing. You know, two bad legs on a quarterback who relies so heavily on his ability to scramble, move within the pocket, you know, extend plays with his legs. You know, putting him in there in that situation, uh, not a good choice. And I do sort of wonder what Colt McCoy would have done against the Cardinals. But I think there's a combination there that we can't kind of we can't lose sight of. And that was the fact that Freddie Kitchens called us a much better, far less conservative game than we've seen from Jason Garrett at any point this entire season. And um, it sort of opened some things up, at least in the first half down the field, particularly to players like Darius Slayton, who are known to be potential home run hitters at any given moment. And I think that really helped the Giants in particular and Colt McCoy in particular, because Freddie seemed to kind of scheme the wide receivers open, which has been a major problem for the Giants this year. So had they had that combination against Arizona, maybe we'd have a different conversation. But yeah, I, I have the utmost respect for Colt McCoy. He's certainly not a quarterback that you're going to plug in in an emergency situation who's just going to get his butt whooped up and down the field all day long. He's very capable. He's very intelligent. He knows what he's seeing. He's a leader on the field. And quite frankly, he's perfectly fine with the job that he's given, which is to manage the games when he's in there. And he's now done that very well twice. Yeah, no doubt. You're fine with Colt McCoy. You're fine. And we've been saying it for the last two weeks. If Jones 
isn't healthy. They should just go with McCoy in these must-win situations. But we'll see. I have a feeling. <laughs> I have a feeling the Giants are going to go back to Daniel Jones if he can move. Yeah, I'm, 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 I've got that same feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about that game and the Giants' new playoff chances, which have taken a hit over the last two weeks. We're not yeah. going to lie. These were two. We called them coin flips, but I think as as we got closer to this Browns game, we realized the Giants aren't quite at the Browns level yet. But these last two weeks kind of hurt. Let's talk about the Giants' path. Is it still alive? Can they still make it to the playoffs? They definitely can. They're still alive. It's just not looking as great as it was no. a couple weeks ago, Dan, but we'll talk about that coming up next. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of BetSlip and Podcast and SportsBookWire.com. It's week 16 of the NFL, and I'm joined again by Jeff Clark, my colleague. We're breaking down the Sunday night football game between the Tennessee Titans and Green Bay Packers. The Packers are three-and-a-half-point home favorites at Lambeau, minus 105 odds. The Titans on the road, plus three-and-a-half-point underdogs, minus 115 odds. Big game for both teams. Playoff implications all over the board here. Packers trying to hold on to the number one seed in the NFC. I'm on them to win by at least four points. Jeff, I think Matt LaFleur just gets his revenge against Tennessee Titans, even though things worked out pretty well for him. He can't be too angry at them. Yeah, I'm definitely swung the Matt LaFleur uh, revenge game. To me, it's a toss-up with the offenses. It's a bit of a toss-up with the defense. I'm willing to concede Green Bay is a little bit better on the defensive end or more reliable. Uh, But the game just means more to the Tennessee Titans. Um, They haven't locked up anything. Not the AFC South, not an AFC wild card, whereas Green Bay has the NFC North all tucked away and could be looking ahead to the playoffs or just wanting to rest up, not giving a full effort. Uh, Give me the three plus the hook with the Titans. So another quote I flagged from Joe Judge, Dan, that I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on. He says, quote, I'm still looking to develop as many players as we can. We want to develop players by still putting ourselves in position to be successful on Sundays. We're not out there having tryouts, but we are working to get as many young guys, as many reps as we can to get them experience. He was talking. He said that in response to some questions about the playoffs. He was kind of I don't want to say he was downgrading the playoffs, but he was basically like, look, we're not winning the Super Bowl this year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the playoffs would be sweet, but we are in a rebuilding developmental mode. As much as we've had fun with the path and the Giants potentially being the number four seed after starting one and seven, which is freaking ridiculous when you think about it. Just mm-hmm. so ridiculous. We've had fun with that storyline all year long. I don't know how you can't. But did the Giants and Judge fully embrace it? You know what I mean? Like, or are they kind of playing out the games the way they've always kind of planned to, trying to develop young guys and looking to the future. Maybe the playoffs isn't like number one on their list right now. They have other things on their agenda. They're trying to be a football team that can compete for years and years to come, right? What do you think about that? Have they fully embraced the run the way that we have here on the Giants Wire podcast? Well, I have to be honest. I was a little taken aback by Judge's comments because he really was quite dismissive about it. He playoffs, was, yeah, care. no doubt. Who, who cares about the playoffs? Was basically the tone. And I'm like, what? In the it, world? Was, Two it was weeks actually ago, refreshing like, to me because he's like, look, we're not going to win the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? That's basically what he was saying to me. But go uh-huh. on. 
But yeah, and it was. It was, I guess, refreshing is the right word for it. Um, surprising um, is another one. It, how often do you hear an NFL head coach say Pl- playoffs? What? We're not worried about the playoffs. Well, you know, of course your players are worried about the playoffs. I mean, two weeks ago, that's all anybody was talking about. But he is right in the sense that, you know, he's he took over what has been a rebuilding team for the last nine years. So, uh, you know, with a team that's devoid of talent, has so many depth issues, you do need to evaluate, you know, the young players on your team, especially when you have so many uh, first-year and second-year players and undrafted players um, that are populating your roster. You need to sort of know who to stick with, what you want, what they're good at, and then evaluate from there what you need going into the next offseason, which unfortunately seems like where Judge's head is already sort of at the problem with that line of thinking is there are jobs on the line. And Dave Gettleman's after these last two losses may very well be one of those jobs on the line. He is now the most losing GM over the past three years since taking over than any other GM that took over at the same time as him. And one of them has just now been fired. And you sort of look at it and you can't help but wonder, you know, if the Giants do lose, against Baltimore and they are limited and they go into the offseason as a you know a 10 loss or 11 loss team you know how does Gettleman at this point keep his job and if he doesn't you know what does that then mean for the Giants and even judge at that point does he have input on who the next general manager is does the next general manager want Daniel Jones who are the assistants is there another new system coming mm-hmm. are we just recycling this all over and over and over again so I think he should be focused on, on winning the NFC East, beating the Ravens this weekend, going into week 17 uh, with an opportunity and trying to save some jobs and, you know, maybe create some level of consistency for his young 23-year-old quarterback who has had none so far in his career. Jones has shown us something, especially the second half of the season, but I think the the seat is hot for Gettleman. There's no doubt. It is. It's a hot seat, and I think for the offensive coordinator, that one's a little warm as well. Uh, I do. I agree with that 100%. Yep. I, yep. Especially after watching what Kitchens did on the fly with a backup quarterback, you kind of go, hmm. Yeah, that was the offense. There was something about the offense I liked, and I think Kitchens had a lot to do with that. You're right. And I know out. people will be like, oh, they only scored six points. But listen, if you go back and watch that, particularly in the first half, you can't help but go, boy, they might have something there. Yep. No, they moved it. They moved it from 20 to 20. Just got to figure out how to score. That's been a problem right. all year, though. They haven't been able to right. score all freaking year long. When you look at the points for, points against the Giants, it's like they've scored less points than anyone in the NFC East. It's not even close. Well, they're the uh, second the second lowest scoring team yeah. in football yeah. to the Jets. Yeah, but yeah, and when you think, but when you look at the NFC East, that crap division, and the Giants are that far behind the other teams right. in scoring, it's, it is startling. But when we mapped out the path to the playoffs, Dan, I said that the Giants had to have six wins going into this game. I, I really thought so. Let me, let me read phrase that they had to have six games going into week 17 that's what i said that's where i needed them to be unfortunately mm-hmm. we're not at six wins yet i was really wanted them in the path we had them beating arizona or arizona yep. arizona or cleveland we had that winning at least one of those 50 50 toss-up games and we did not have them beating seattle actually but we were like we were hoping they would have six wins going into this game at baltimore because this feels like a really tough game to win, and Baltimore's kind of hot right now. Lamar Jackson's playing a lot better football than he was uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when he came down with COVID or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is tough. The Giants are 5-9. and nine. A loss to Baltimore would almost certainly knock them out, although if they lose and Washington loses, they're still alive. But really right now where we're at, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Washington basically controls their destiny. If they win two games, they're going to be in the playoffs. Right. If they win one game, the Giants have a chance to – 
still be in it in week 17, but they still might need some help. They still might need Washington to lose again. And the Cowboys are really a long shot. It, they would need to win out and have Washington lose out. Do I have that right? I, basically, it's Washington is in control. The Giants would love to see them lose at least one game to help them get in. You're, you're basically right. There's a lot going on. The bottom line is this. The Giants need to win their next two games. And that's really the only way they, they can look at it. I mean, yes, technically they could lose and still find a way to win the NFC East, which is just wild in week 17. But the reality is at this point that they, they're going to need to win two games. And they position themselves in that scenario by losing the last two games and not splitting uh, splitting those. You know, the Seattle win was a big one. Uh, but I said at the time that that Arizona game was going to be the make-or-break factor in the season. Yep. And it's really beginning to look like that. So essentially what they need to have happen is they need to, they need to beat Baltimore, they need to beat Dallas, and they need Washington to lose one of their next two games, which is probably more likely to come in Week 17 than it is in Week 16. You know, obviously, like you said, if the Giants lose, the Cowboys win out, and Washington loses out, the Cowboys storm back and they and they take over. There's a lot of other ins and outs there, too, but that's basically how it breaks down, and the Giants need to, you know, pull off an even larger upset than the one they had against uh, Seattle in order to go into Week 17, which also, you know, that very well may be the deciding factor, as we noted previously, on Dave Gettleman's job. So there's there's actually a lot riding on this game coming up this weekend. I don't I don't see the Giants winning it. Like they're already double digit underdogs yeah. at this point. Yeah, this um, be a tough one to win. I, I just, it is. It would be. One. It, w- it would be a statement if they could somehow rebound from those two games and, and win this one. But of all the games that we've spoke about, even going back earlier uh, this year when we did this path of the playoffs, that never looked like a winnable game to me. This could be even more interesting. We'd be having a different conversation if Dallas beat Washington on Thanksgiving. This would be a really interesting little uh, two-week two race. But uh, that, that Dallas loss really looms large for them. As you said, they're... They're pretty much done. It's either the Giants or Washington, and I think Washington is in a really good position. The Washington football team, Dan. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, to be the NFC East. And I would we'll love, see. you know, listen, of, if it's not the Giants, I really don't want to see Dallas or Philly anywhere near it, obviously. <laughs> so, if it, listen, if it's Washington and it's Alex Smith leading the way, he, man, he manages to come back in there, I'm not going to be that upset over the whole situation i'd much rather see alex um, a, a, alex smith led washington team going into the playoffs over the giants than andy dalton's cowboys all right we'll see if the giants can resurrect the path they got to beat baltimore on the road that's a tough one we'll see if they can pull it off we'll see who the quarterback is who the hell knows dan right <laughs> we'll figure it all out and break it down next week thanks for joining us on the giants wire podcast This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.